DiscerningHearts.com presents Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis. Dr. Lewis is an associate professor and the academic dean of St. John's Seminary in Camarillo, California, as well as the academic advisor for the Juan Diego House of Priestly Formation for the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Through the years, clergy, seminarians, religious, and lay faithful have benefited from his lectures and retreat conferences on the Carmelite Doctors of the Church and the writings of Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity. Dr. Lewis is also the author of Hidden Mountain Secret Garden, a Theological Contemplation of Prayer. In this series of conversations with Dr. Lewis, we reflect on the writings of Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity. Her retreat, entitled The Last Retreat, is the source of our current reflection. Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Anthony, welcome back. Thank you, Chris. It's so good to be with you again. It's great to be with you, but also with Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity. In particular, as we dive into the last retreat. This uh, retreat was one of the last texts she wrote before her death. At this stage of her illness, she is suffering acutely from the effects of Addison disease, at the time incurable. Part of the effects of uh, Addison's disease, she's unable to metabolize any food. So on a certain level, she is, in effect, starving to death. Her whole body's wretched in pain. Even water on her lips is excruciating. She has probably something like shingles at this stage of the game. It's a complication that sometimes goes with Addison's disease and when it reaches this advanced state. So you're dealing with a contemplative nun who loves Jesus very deeply, who loves her community, who is suffering immense physical and spiritual trials. And in the course of this, she's been asked by Mother Germain to offer a few words to the community to help lead the community into deeper intimacy with Christ. It's out of this kind of love and friendship that she writes her last retreat the last prayerful retreat she takes before her death. So we're about to enter the first day. Yes, on the first day, this is uh, uh, August 16th, 1906. She begins with a single word, and the single word is Neshiwi. Neshiwi. I no longer knew anything. This is what the Bride of the Canticle sings after having been brought into the inner cellar. It seems to me that this must also be the refrain of a praise of glory on this first day of retreat in which the Master makes her penetrate the depths of the bottomless abyss so that he may teach her to fulfill the work which will be hers for eternity, and which she must already perform in time, which is eternity begun and still in progress. Neshivi, I no longer know anything. I do not want to know anything except to know him, to share in his sufferings, to become like him in his death.
in the life of contemplation, in mystical prayer, as you advance in it, Jesus discloses himself as to, in such beautiful ways that there is a kind of disclosure, a self-disclosure, in which you forget everything else you've ever known or thought of. Your heart is completely fixated on him. Blessed Elizabeth seems to be experiencing this in the midst of her physical and spiritual trials. She says that this word, neshiwi, is actually a great song, the song of, of her heart, the song of the bride who goes to find the bridegroom. Neshiwi, she's so captivated by Christ that she no longer wants to know anything but him. Those whom God has foreknown, he has also predestined to become conformed to the image of his divine Son, the one crucified by love. When I am wholly identified with this divine exemplar, when I have wholly passed into him and he into me, then I will fulfill my eternal vocation, the one for which God has chosen me in him. In principio, the one I will continue in eternum when, immersed in the bosom of my trinity, I will be the unceasing praise of his glory. Laudum gloriae eius. Elizabeth of the Trinity believed that her personal vocation, the name by which God recognized her and called her, was Laudum Gloriae, the praise of glory. She believed that she would perfectly fulfill her vocation, her particular vocation, the more like Christ she became. The way she understood you grew in greater and greater Christ-likeness was by knowing Jesus more and more. So the more you know Jesus, the more like him you become. This is a summary of what contemplative prayer is all about, and that's why it's so essential in the life of the church today. If we want to be like Jesus, we need to open up our hearts, avail our hearts to the wisdom that he imparts, a wisdom that we can only receive if we are silent in his presence. Practices like Eucharistic adoration or silently reading the scriptures in our, our homes uh, at night or early in the morning when nobody can distract us. These practices open up our hearts to the wisdom of Christ. And that wisdom isn't just informational. In fact, it's performative. It changes how we live. We can't live the same way when we know Jesus Christ. He changes everything. She also exhorts us to know the Father, to depend on him and to know him as Jesus did. That's right. Jesus, when he reveals himself to us, what mm -hmm. he's revealing, he is the word of the Father. And so whenever we welcome the word of Jesus into our hearts, he reveals to us the love that God the Father has for us, that God the Father made each of us in his image and likeness, because, and he did so out of love. He has a very special plan for each one of us.
But we cannot know the Father, we cannot know that plan, we cannot know the love with which we were created if we won't welcome Jesus in our hearts. And to help us understand what it means to welcome Jesus in, in our hearts so that we can know the Father. In the same reflection, Blessed Elizabeth points us to the Virgin Mary. No one has seen the Father, St. John tells us, except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. It seems to me that we can also say, no one has penetrated the depths of the mystery of Christ except the Blessed Virgin. John and Mary Magdalene penetrated deeply this mystery. St. Paul often speaks of the understanding of it which was given to him, and yet, how all the saints remain in the shadows when we look at the Blessed Virgin's light. This is the unspeakable secret that she kept in mind and pondered in her heart, which no tongue can tell or pen describe. This Mother of Grace will form my soul so that her little child will be a living, striking image of her firstborn, the Son of the Eternal, He who was the perfect praise of His Father's glory. If you want to be captured by the love of Jesus, if you want to be so astounded by the beauty and splendor of his presence in your life, ask Mary to help you. She will show you her son because she beholds Jesus. She knows the word of the Father more than anyone else. St. Augustine says that the Blessed Virgin Mary conceived Jesus in her heart before she conceived him in her womb. In other words, she welcomed the word of the Father in her heart and by welcoming the word of the Father in her heart, she was able, overshadowed by the Holy Spirit, she was able to conceive Jesus in her womb. So the, the great graces given the Blessed Virgin Mary is a benefit for the whole church, for each one of us, but especially for those who are drawn into deep prayer, who long for silence, who long to be captivated completely by Jesus. Mary is such a model for us, but then the word model doesn't really do her justice. She's a mother to us, and I'm sure she was for Elizabeth the Trinity. Mary, just like she is the mother of Jesus in his humanity, helped Jesus direct his humanity to the glory of God the Father, Jesus from the cross gave us the gift of Mary in our own spiritual life and in our life of prayer. She doesn't stand out. She whispers kind of behind the scenes, like kind of like a mother does to her child. She wants her child to do well. She doesn't do things for her child. She kind of whispers encouragements and gives directions and, and prays for her child that her child might succeed. Well, this is what Mary does in our lives. She whispers the secrets of Jesus' heart to us when we're deep in prayer so that we may know Jesus in deeper ways. And she intercedes for us to her son so that we might receive all the grace we need and in this kind of maternal presence, 
In fact, uh, John Paul II, blessed John Paul II, calls this maternal mediation, the, the mystery of maternal mediation. She mediates the grace of Christ in a very unique way. Now, each of us is called to mediate the grace of Christ when we say yes to the Lord by faith. He purifies us so that we can all participate in building up the body of Christ. But Mary does this in a very, very special way because she was the mother of our Lord in his humanity, and the Lord giving her to the church, to his beloved disciple, has her be kind of a mother to us in the order of grace. She is a gift to us in our spiritual life. She helps us enter into this contemplation. Another thought with John Paul II precisely on this point was he often said that he totally knew and understood how it was that Mary gives us God. He never had a problem with that puzzled him was, why would Jesus choose to act in a special way through his mother? And if you think about that, you begin to realize that when Jesus implicated himself in our humanity so that we could overcome sin and death, he is also inviting us to implicate ourselves in a saving mystery. And Mary has chosen to do this specifically as mother as a kind of symbol of uh, and a real icon of the church, which helps bring to birth souls for Christ. Mary is that presence in our lives, helping us to bring our own spiritual life to birth so that we live completely for Jesus. So this first day, isn't it amazing that in this very first day, Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity is calling us to live totally for Jesus, radically for Jesus. And the way you do this is you ask Mary, the mother, to help you. There's a, a power when we welcome the presence of the Virgin Mary in our lives. Well, you would need to have that comfort. You would need to have that, that strong presence, wouldn't you, when you are entering into an area where Blessed Elizabeth says, I do not want to know anything except to know him, to share in his sufferings, and to become like him in his death. That's heavy as far as the desire to actually carry the cross. Many of us, especially, can I say it in the United States, Anthony, where we do everything we can to run from that cross. We do do that. And fortunately, God hopes in us uh, oftentimes a lot more than we hope in him. He he has made some part of his plan. Uh, well, he's placed it in our hands, just like he placed himself in our our hands when he became a little baby and was laying in a manger. He he constantly comes and places himself in our hands, counts on us. And in the beginning, you're right. We are inclined, especially in our kind of bon vivant culture, the, the culture in which we live, which is always looking for comfort. We want to run away from the cross. We don't want anything to do with it. God, in his great mercy, loves us so much that he will allow us to suffer different kinds of trials so that we will eventually say yes to the cross. Some of these trials he allows us to suffer are physical trials with our body, where we have acute physical illnesses of different kinds, pain. Sometimes there will be an auto accident. Sometimes it's an unexpected disease. Some souls get inflicted with, with cancer. 
God doesn't want any of these bad things to happen to us in and of themselves because nothing in and of them gives him glory. But mm-hmm. sometimes he will permit these things in our lives. He will allow us to experience these things as the cross in our life. And if we say yes to this cross, it gives him space to reveal his glory, just like God the Father would not have wanted his son to suffer and die unless it was to bring about our salvation. And the cross of Christ reveals the glory of the Father uh, that lives in Jesus. That same glory is to be revealed in us. And this is true not only of exterior trials like physical illness and disease or uh, other bad things that might happen, but also of interior trials, trials where we question whether or not God loves us, questions that we have in our heart because we feel like we've been abandoned. In those trials, if we bear them with love and trust the Lord, he is able to reveal his glory through us. It ultimately comes down to choices, doesn't it, Anthony? And we all have choices that we can make to choose to walk with him in the particular suffering that may come our way. Not that we're running out to find suffering, but to embrace, is that the right word? The suffering that crosses our path. Is that the type of hope that Blessed Elizabeth leads us to? She's giving us a little peek at at that. Really, it's a matter of freedom, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Uh, In order to choose the cross, you need to be free to choose it. As long as we are kind of bound to and burdened by seeking comfort and consolation and feeling good, as long as these are the things that are driving our lives, we're not really free to to love God or one another with all our heart and soul, with all our might. And in order to have the freedom to do that, do that, in order to be free from some of our selfish appetites and our need for security and our, our need to be thought well of others, in order to have that freedom, that freedom uh, is comes to us in the form of a gift. It's It's a grace that comes from Jesus, a grace he gives us from the cross. So in a beautiful kind of way, Jesus, who reveals the glory of God the Father on the cross, at the same time he's revealing that glory to us, he's revealing what it means to be fully human and fully free and fully alive, and at the same time he's communicating to us the power by which we not only intellectually know and recognize that freedom, but we're able to live it ourselves. So a lot of souls kind of struggle with this cross I have is too great for me. I am so displeased with myself and the lack of progress I'm making in my spiritual life. I keep on falling back into the same uh, habit patterns over and over and over again. Uh, All I do is I see my misery, my poverty, and I'm frustrated, disappointed, and I don't know really how to go on. That's That's a big cross to carry. And that kind of cross isn't a cross that we can serenely carry by ourselves. But Elizabeth of the Trinity in this passage is saying that Jesus is our divine exemplar, meaning if we look to him, he not only shows us the way we need to go, he gives us all the power we need so that we can get there. 
And in this case, in this kind of spiritual trial where we feel overwhelmed by our own weakness and inadequacy and, and we're tempted really by despair, what Jesus gives us is hope. And he gives us the power to hope even in the faiths of our failures so that we can serenely bear our own brokenness for the glory of God the Father. So do you see that Christian perfection then isn't that I finally get my life all together and I do everything perfectly and everything goes the way it's supposed to go. Christian perfection is a little bit more nitty-gritty than that. Christian perfection is about serenely bearing our own displeasure with ourselves, that sense of inadequacy, serenely bearing it by offering it to the Father through the cross of Jesus. And when we do this, Jesus, the divine exemplar, is able to rest in our hearts and speak the secret of the Father's love deep in us. We, Our hearts become a resting place for Jesus so that he can reveal in our hearts and through our lives and through our brokenness and through our misery the glory of God the Father. It's ultimately for his glory, not our glory. And that's... I think what we're we're seeing, isn't it, Anthony, with Blessed Elizabeth right now, is that here she is at a point where physically she has nothing left. It seems as though it's for naught, maybe. You know, I'm not sure what she may be experiencing in the convent. She had no idea that a hundred years later people would be reflecting on her writings. Here she is in the, in this pain, and and yet. She bears it all because she trusts in him, and it's for his glory. Her glory, it doesn't matter. It, it no longer matters. I think you're absolutely right. This is one of the most beautiful aspects of the spiritual wisdom that we find in Blessed Elizabeth. And I think it's particularly encouraging uh, for those who today may be listening to you right now are bearing with some very difficult illness or heartbreaking situation. Sometimes in those situations, we can think, I have nothing to offer God. There is nothing about me that is of any good or of any use. And the opposite is quite the case. If we offer the Lord in love the trials and the tribulations that we are undergoing and trust in him, like Blessed Elizabeth is giving us a glimpse of in this passage, it makes space in the world for God to do some remarkable things. For example, when Blessed Elizabeth was writing this in the year 1906, the French government, it was uh, deeply secular and opposed to the church. Uh, in many ways, a lot like what we see today. And so people were increasingly under pressure to violate their, their consciences and to conform to what the government wanted them to conform to. And part of this effort on the part of the, the government, which we haven't come to yet, but we could, was the government wanted to close down and confiscate the lands of all the different religious communities. So Blessed Elizabeth is racked in pain, and in the back of the community, in the communities trying to come around her and help her and be present to, you, to her, but everybody's also kind of filled with a certain kind of anxiety that they could be booted out any time, that government agents could come and threaten everything in just with just a snap of the finger. 
Blessed Elizabeth in this passage doesn't even refer to any of that, even though it's all going on, everything's falling apart around her. Instead of being caught up in the anxiety of what's going on politically, instead of trying to escape what's going on by you know talking about some spiritual bliss that takes you out of this world, she points us into the reality of the world and the way we live in the reality of the world and accept the sufferings that the Lord has allowed us to have is by keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, letting him so fascinate us and so capture, uh, capture our hearts. We, on fire with his love, all we want to do is love. All we want to do is live like Jesus who filled every moment of his life with love. Anthony, many of us may never suffer like Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity. But nonetheless, whatever that is, that is an incredible thorn in the side. It's very real for so many people. I mean, we all have something, don't we? There's, There's usually, no matter what your economic situation, no matter where you're at in the world location, pain is pain. And people experience suffering. That's a universal, isn't it? That's uh, that's right. And that's the reason why the Word made flesh, the Word of the Father, when He entered our humanity, rather than avoid suffering, chose to freely enter into it and accept it all the way unto death. He wanted to show us a love that was stronger than suffering and death, so that no matter what befalls us, we might not lose hope. Today, I realize that you do have listeners who maybe are suffering some very difficult things. And in fact, all of us are going to have to face some kind of suffering and our own death before the end. This is the Christian way. How do we live so that we can make an offering of love to God of our suffering on our death How do we live so that we are completely conformed to Christ, so that even when we are most powerless, when we seem to be least fruitful of all, least capable of doing anything worthwhile, we might at that moment realize our finest hour and reveal the glory of God the Father to the world. This is our great task, and Elizabeth of the Trinity facing the same reality is saying, this is how you do it. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Ask Mary to help you. Any final thoughts on this first day? I am so looking forward to the rest of this retreat with you because it's a retreat that takes us deep into the mystery of the cross. And this is the great truth of our Christian faith. There is no access to God except through the cross. And those who want to know the love of the Father, the immeasurable love of that the Father has revealed to us through his Son. The only way we can see that is through the lens of the cross, by crossing the threshold of the cross in our lives. She's already pointed to that reality in this very first reflection. She's invited us to so pass into the reality of the cross that we might, with uh, the bride, the church, sing to the bridegroom, Neshiwi, I no longer know anything but you, and I no longer have anything in me but the desire to be conformed to you, Jesus, my beloved. I think that's a great starting place for the rest of the retreat, a great threshold into the 
depths of the wisdom of God. Thank you so much, Anthony. Thank you, and I want to thank all your listening audience. I look forward to this uh, very special and very beautiful time together. You've been listening to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. To hear and or to download this episode, along with many others, go to discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of discerninghearts.com. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Join me next time for Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis.